This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Delight to be back with you here at Butte Bible Fellowship. I want to give praise to our God for a safe travel to Egypt with my wife Shirley. I want to give praise to God for my new grandson who was born on March 6th, uh, little Oliver. And so my heart is full of praise and I sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Thank you for coming to worship the Lord and let us begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for every good and perfect gift comes from above. From you, the Father of lights, in whom there's no shifting or shadow of change. We praise you, and we do sing from our hearts, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Lord, we count our blessings, we name them one by one, and we marvel at your bountiful love and your wonderful kindness to us. Surely goodness and mercy is following us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we want to praise you. We praise you for Jesus. If it wasn't for him going to the cross and paying for our sins in full by his holy life being laid down and by his shed blood to purchase us, we would be hopelessly lost and eternally separated from you. So thank you for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. It's through him that we worship you and come before you and praise you, our Father. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit indwelling us and allowing us and empowering us to praise you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Genesis 12. Verses 10 through 20. We are studying a new series today uh, called Biblical Egypt. Now, I just thought because I was in Egypt, and because Egypt is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible, that it might be relevant and apropos for us to look at such passages that are key. When you think that Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and Jesus' interactions with Egypt, you want to know more of the story, don't you? I do. I'd be blessed in this study. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. 
when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. An interesting passage we're going to dig into, but first let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for your word. We want to say thank you that you have worked with human beings who are so full of flaws. And the Bible doesn't cover up those flaws. It lays them out clearly and plainly. And we can relate to pressures and we can relate to failures in our lives, but we can also thank you for your redeeming grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We can also praise you that you forgive and have a purpose and plan for our lives. So speak to us as we look at your word today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message, A Refuge from famine, because what we're going to learn about Egypt is actually very fascinating. Egypt is a land with antiquities that are known worldwide. Here you have the picture of the Sphinx, and uh, next to it you have a picture of your pastor on a camel. <laughs> and I have to tell you that Shirley, who used to teach Egypt, uh, about Egypt to her fifth graders, uh, was longing to go to Egypt and have a picture on a camel in front of the pyramids. And I told her, honey, I'm frightened when I get on top of a horse. Never mind a camel, which is even higher than a horse. And being long-waisted and having a high center of gravity, I really feel... Uh, like the leading tower of Pisa when I'm on top of a camel. And notice this picture because I am gripping onto that saddle horn like there's no tomorrow. It took everything I could to put a thumb up and smile because I was in abject fear. But we got Shirley's picture of both of us on camels in front of the pyramids of Giza, and uh, Shirley said the rest is, was just a cherry on top, the gravy about that. So Egypt is a fascinating country, but did you know this? And I, this is very important. 
I want to say a lot of great things about Egypt, and I will in this series. But I want you to know that biblically speaking, Egypt represents worldliness. May I just say that clearly? This is nothing against Egypt as a nation or the Egyptian people. It's biblically Egypt represents worldliness. And we'll look at that. What is the biblical significance of Egypt? When you say you're going down to Egypt or you're going back to Egypt, it means you're going back to the world and you're um, abandoning, walking away from the Lord. So going down to Egypt leads us away from God's will. It leads us to compromise. It leads to consequences. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's over for you. Let's look at this from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. First of all, when Abraham saw that there was a great famine, chapter 12, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. He went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. He made a choice that affected himself, affected his family, and Egypt is presented to us as a picture of the type of world, worldliness. And in a time of testing, are we going to turn to the Lord or are we going to turn to the world? That's a very important question. And Egypt somehow is always representing that. In the prophet Isaiah, he says, why are you relying on Rahab? Rahab is the nickname of Egypt. And Rahab is portrayed in the book of Isaiah as the do-nothing dragon. In other words, instead of relying on the Lord, Israel was relying on an alliance with Egypt should they get attacked by a world power. And the prophet Isaiah says, rely on the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on Egypt, who's known as Rahab, the do-nothing dragon, all smoke and no fire. Don't do that. So there's biblical significance about Egypt. And it's important for us to look at this. The land of Canaan represented God's best for Abram. And Canaan was where he was supposed to be, and God would take care of him. And Canaan was God's rest for Abraham, for Abram, who was later called Abraham. But he went down to Egypt. So going down to Egypt leads us away from God's will. It says in 1 John chapter 2, and these are very important words, it says, do not love the world and the things of the world for the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life uh, do not please the Lord. Everything, the world, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. It tells us that we have a choice. If we live for the world, we will have temporary satisfaction, but even that will be transitory. It'll be short, and it'll end up in bitterness. But if we do God's will, we'll be satisfied, and that satisfaction will be eternal. It'll be never-ending. So are we going to follow the lust of our eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life? Or are we going to do God's will? God's will, God's way, is satisfying, it's fulfilling, and it's lasting. Don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the center of God's will, in the land and place of blessing. James Montgomery Boyce says this, when we come to the next point that going down to Egypt leads us into compromise. Because you see here in Genesis 12, 11 to 13, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know you are beautiful, and when they see you, tell them you're my sister. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, Abraham left Bethel, his place of worship. He did not get back to Bethel until he was expelled from Egypt. Bethel, meaning house of God, was Abram's last recorded residence before going to Egypt. And we are told that it was there that Abraham had built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord in Bethel. Perhaps in leaving Bethel, Abram left his place of worship since Scripture does not record him worshiping again until he returns. So when you move away from the Lord, when you move back into the world, when you compromise, when you stop worshiping the Lord and start worshiping the world, you become like the world. And that's a wonderful summary, takeaway, that I'd like to give you today. You become what you worship. When we were in Egypt, we saw a lot of temples. And all these temples had uh, hieroglyphics. And it's amazing how well-preserved they are. Not only are they uh, um, carved into stone, but some of them have colors for the tunics that are still very vivid. How did they do that? They covered it with egg and with um, honey, and that preserved the color. Thousands of years. And we're looking at things that are 5,000 years old, and we're amazed at how vivid and how clear it is. But what you see in every temple and every tomb is the Pharaoh offering a sacrifice of some kind to, the, to one of the 2,000 gods Egypt had. So that will lead to compromise if you go down to Egypt. You know, you start with a little bit of slip sliding, and then the next thing you know, the erosion of your faith 
goes downhill. The Bible says um, that bad company corrupts good morals. You say, oh, I'm just going to hang out with these people and, and be cool and, and uh, be like Jesus. I'm going to be a friend of sinners. I'm going to hang out at the, at the pub. I'm going to hang out at the bar. But you know what? Eventually, the world gets more into you than you influence the world. I'm not saying we shouldn't be witnesses, and I'm not saying we, should go, we shouldn't go where the sinners are. What I'm trying to tell you is beware of the erosion of compromise, the slip sliding away. Here, Abram said, tell you what, why don't you say you're my sister? Well, this leads to consequences. Genesis chapter 12, 14 to 15, tells us what actually happened. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very beautiful. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they talked her up to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace to be part of her, his harem. And he treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. But... The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So there are consequences. When you go back to the world and you stop worshiping the Lord, start, stop following the Lord, and start following the world and its practices, there's heartache, there's misery, there's sorrow, there's betrayal, there's disappointment. There is loneliness. There is all sorts of consequences that come from turning away from the Lord. Do not be mocked. Uh, the Lord is not fooled. Um, what a man sows, that will he also reap. So we are not to go down to Egypt because going down to Egypt leads to uh, consequences. Finally, we read, um, it doesn't mean it's over for you. Genesis 12, verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his households because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Now, why does this verse point out that it doesn't mean it's over for you? After Pharaoh figured out that Sarai was actually Abram's wife, he gave her back to him and ordered them to be escorted out of Egypt. And what we see in verse 17, that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai, is an act of grace. If there weren't consequences to our sin, we wouldn't know the seriousness of our sin, number one. But more importantly, there was a promise God made to Abram in the first part of this chapter, which is most important. It's strategic to the whole understanding of the Bible. That when God called Abram to come out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, he said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, 
I will curse. And that's what he was doing there by causing the serious diseases to fall upon Pharaoh and his household. He was cursing those who cursed them. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. That last phrase speaks about that through Abraham would come the Messiah and the Messiah Jesus, our Savior, all who trust him are blessed through him from around the world. So does God have a plan? Yes, he does. When you sin and fail and you fall into worldliness, is that the end? No, it's not. You can repent. You can return to the Lord. And when you do, God has a blessing and a purpose to use you as a witness for him. So this is a wonderful uh, lesson we get from Egypt. And I'd like for you to join with me in prayer as we think about this. Father, we are amazed that Egypt is in the biblical history of the Bible, but we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible is all about real life. It's about history. It really is planted in the historical narrative of what's happened in our world. And we're amazed that you have given us these stories to teach us about our lives today. So Lord, may we not go down to Egypt. May we not go back to worldliness, but may we live in the place of blessing, worshiping you, following you, serving you, loving you, being a witness for you. Keep us from compromise. Keep us from um, those decisions that water down our faith. Keep us from being lukewarm. Help us to be hot for you. Lord, we repent of our sins. We repent of our alliances with the world. We're not to be unequally yoked. We just cry out to you, Lord, forgive us. We turn from our wicked ways. We seek your face. We pray. And we ask, Lord, that you would hear from heaven, that you would forgive our sin, that you would heal our land. We need you. So, Lord, thank you for your church today and deliver it and revive it and bring a great spiritual awakening in our day, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. The number one thing I saw in Egypt that you and I know about are mummies. Now, you need to know when Shirley taught her fifth grade class, she would mummify a chicken. They would buy a chicken in the frozen food section of the grocery store. They'd bring it to class, and she was using water softener salt tablets, and they would mummify the chicken. And they called it King Cluck the First. Now, why did the Egyptians mummify their pharaohs. The reason was so that when the spirits would come back, they would recognize their face 
and bring them back to life. So they had to look as much as recognizable as they could for as long as they could. That's why they mummified them. So King Tut, the boy Pharaoh, his display is uh, replicated and you can see it in Reading up until September 5th. All of the gold and all of the splendor that was found in King Tut's tomb is right here in Reading, 45 minutes away. And among all of his things were a bunch of canes. Do you know why? Because the pharaoh was supposedly divine. So they couldn't marry out of their family. So King Tut's mom and dad were brother and sister. And he had a club foot because of the um, inbreeding. So he needed a cane. He died at age 19, and if it wasn't for the find of his tomb, he wouldn't be so famous. But why did the Egyptians mummify their pharaohs? Because they were searching for eternal life. And where is eternal life found? It's found in faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. When you trust in him, the Bible says, he or she who has life, has the son, has life. He or she who does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you that you may know that you who believe have eternal life. Eternal life is found in faith in Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him? Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, we believe you died on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. We believe you rose from the dead so that you could give us the gift of eternal life. We trust in you as our Savior and Lord. We ask you to forgive us of all of our sins and to enter into our lives by your Holy Spirit. And thank you for the certainty and surety of heaven as our eternal destination. We trust in you for our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that eternity is found in you. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.